around too. I apologize for making you have to deal with me again. Stomp is not here. Thanks, Mike. I have been joking with people today. Um, I've been claiming that you guys say there were audio problems, but it was just that I was such a great guest. You wanted me back again this this fast. So here I am. That's true. That is true. We um, we did enjoy talking with you, but we had uh, it happens sometimes. Like tech, we have these technical issues sometimes, and for the audience, it's wondering what happened so we had originally done like a two-hour podcast and stomp was trying to work on doing the edit the first 90 minutes were fine but uh, sometimes we use this platform called squadcast and sometimes squadcast um, if there's an internet connectivity issue then the audio does tend to get messed up Um, typically they're pretty good at recovering things on the cloud but this time it was just uh, too many holes in the audio between myself and and andy so we're back with part two Uh, so Thanks again. Um, and Stomp was like freaking out. We were texting each other at like 10, 30, 11 o'clock last night. So what we basically decided is we were going to put out part one. I'm just going to connect with Andy on part two. Stomp is like doing um, snowmobile touring, I think, for the next like few days. So he's 100% busy and uh, he's not going to be joining us tonight. So it's just the two of us, Andy. Do we at least get Stomp's cat? We don't. There's no cat. And I don't have a cat either. So your cat is the executive producer tonight. Great. <clears throat> yep. I'll wake her up. Um, yeah. But you know, the good thing about having part two is that we dropped up, uh, the part one and then I had a bunch of people coming out of the woodwork uh, feeding me information about you. So I got your trail name and I think it actually mm. is a good trail name that um, connects with what just happened. So your trail name is Plan B. Um, which I think makes sense, <laughs> right? No, so I think no. That- so there's a story that we. This is a tr- potential trail name that we absolutely have to explain because there okay. are sort of multiple interpretations of what that could possibly mean. Okay. So um, I guess Z- the, so. The Zima guy is the one that tipped me off about this. So oh, I that's don't know if fantastic! You want to claim, but- I'm good. I'm going to get him. He was yeah, but, he was unhappy in a joking way that I used his last name and attached it to Zima. So he yes, well, yes he he was also concerned about the the beer that I was that I had with me last time and it wasn't appropriate. So he came by my house today and dropped off four different beers for me. So, but I guess that's that's later, and I should go back to the trail name issue and explain. Is that? Yeah, yeah, no, we'll do trail name, and then you can you can tell me what beer you're drinking. But uh, so Plan B, like that makes sense to me. Like you're, you, so I was. I'm always nervous when this stuff happens. Occasionally, we'll go back to a guest to say like, hey, you know, there's an audio issue. Can we re-record? I think we had to re-record uh, one episode with Rebecca in the past, but um, you were very chill about it, and I was like, oh, thank God. So then I heard that your trail name was plan b and i was like that makes sense because she's always you know figures like she's gonna roll with the punches but explain to me what it means so i do a lot of trip planning whether it's backpacking trips kayaking trips biking trips whatever i I plan a ton of a ton of them and my friends who go along will sometimes not shockingly throw wrenches into the plan you know things happen somebody can't make it and they were supposed to shuttle or somebody needs to leave early we need to get out or you know something always seems to happen you know the best laid plans and so it's never a problem because I always have a plan b and there's always a way to just figure it out and deal with whatever comes up so we roll from there and so so Dave likes to say that that's my trail name and he especially likes it when there is a problem. And I say, oh, but here's how we can do it instead. And he nods his head and says, yes, plan B. Um, But the discomfort with plan B as a trail name is that plan B is a certain medication. Yeah. yeah. And so, and, and this is not about people that use that. That's a whole, everybody do your thing. But um, I was once in a situation where someone referred to me as plan B and someone else said, oh my God, that's a very personal thing. I can't believe you'd bring that up and the person hearing it didn't understand that it was this trail name they thought it was a reference to something in my personal life so it was a little little awkward there for a second but I I thought you actually were going to have I I don't officially have a trail name I thought you were going to bring up the other trail name from the YGT crew no no I I can't even (laughs) remember that one honestly but so when you went you were on the AT you did like a little section of the AT but you didn't get a trail name when you were you were on there 
Correct. There, um, so there have been a lot of proposals for Siri or Alexa, just because with the planning I do, anytime I go somewhere, people are asking me questions and I'm always giving answers about things. And so Siri or, Siri or Alexa have been proposed, Plan B, and then um, TBA. Okay. All right. Well, that uh, that makes sense. But anyway, it was good that people were coming out of the woodwork. And I think I was listening to the, uh, the last part of um, part one, and I think that we had wrapped up with you sort of talking about how you would crowdsourced and assisted with that um, sort of large-scale rescue, and then we wanted to keep on with the search and rescue theme. You had actually broken your leg out on the trail, so I think we were going to start with that story for you to sort of talk about. So obviously, we, we talk a lot about search and rescue, and I think the difference, from what I can tell with the way you were describing sort of like the, the episode where... Um, you had helped organize that that search and rescue is it sounds like um the you know the the local law enforcement is a lot more sort of involved in the ground searching as well but they'll defer to you know there's it doesn't sound like there's like a a heavy formal structured volunteer organization it sounds like they they'll tap into your group if they need to um, which is a little bit different than New Hampshire where we have these established volunteer groups and they basically just sit there and Fish and Game can activate them whenever they need a carryout or whatever. Um, but in your situation, like you were you were pretty close to the trailhead. Is that right? Or were you far in? I know. I was I was thankfully very, very close. I was I was close enough that um, where it happened, the, the trail opened up into this small clearing and then just above that was a field where we had left our vehicles for the, you know for that end after the trip was over and so we were actually able to back my jeep I, mean, I didn't clearly I say we but my friends were able to back my jeep down pretty close to me and so we got me out um, and then it, it, it took an hour for an ambulance to get there once the call was actually made. Okay. And I'm curious because I've never, I've never experienced a lower leg injury. I think like I've been out on trail and I do a lot of solo hiking and I go in deep into the wilderness and I've had these scenarios where, um, you know, I've gone hard on my ankle and just sort of like had a scare, but I've, you know, and you, I'm sure you've had this too, where you're like, you'll do a deep sort of like uh, ankle twist and then you'll sit there and be like, oh my God, is this serious or is it just going to go away? And I've been lucky where it's kind of gone away, but from your perspective, like you had a full break, you know, how realistic would it have been if you were by yourself to like either like stabilize that injury or sort of crawl out to get, to get back to where you were? Um, I definitely could have stabilized it. Crawling would have been a little difficult. So with the break that I had, I broke my tib and fib both um, down near my ankle, also tore a ligament off the bottom of my fib. When I fell, my foot was actually facing the wrong direction. Um, okay. I, I, I picked up my leg to realign it. And when I picked up my leg, it was one of those things where my foot sort of swung because there was no bone structure connecting. Um, so even even if I stabilized it really well, in terms of crawling, I would have had to been on my knee and keeping my ankle up. And I just don't know with that sort of injury that that would have worked for me. I mean, I, I, I definitely could not have done it for very far. Got it. So you're lucky you had people there and you were close to the trailhead, but it would have been ugly if you were far in. Well, if I was far in, I would have pushed my button on my Garmin. I would have hit the Got SOS it. button. Got yeah. it. And, and, then, and in um, fact... Oh, oh, sorry, when ahead. I when I did fall, part of what I was thinking over and, and what I talked to my friends about was, should I hit the button? Because we knew there wasn't cell service where we were. We were about a 15-minute drive from cell service. So it was a question of, do I hit the button or do we send someone to drive to call 911 once they got service? And they let me make the decision. And my decision was send someone to drive because if I hit that Garmin SOS button, it has to go up to Garmin satellite. They have to try to connect with the local authorities. I just felt like it would probably be faster, you know, more immediate response, easier response if it was just a, a 911 call placed directly to the, the local system. So that's what we did. Great. Yeah. And um, when, how, how big of a crew arrived when, you, when they had to, uh, to, to get there? They, they brought an ambulance and got you in there? 
So um, we got up to the top of the road in my Jeep because we didn't think an ambulance could come down. And we sat there, like I said, it, it, it took an hour after the phone call was made. Um, and so while we were there, a, a forest service ranger did arrive. And in fact, it was sort of funny. My my friend came up to my car window and she said, there's a ranger here. He's coming over. And she's like, and, and he's just your type. And she kind of laughed and, and then, you know, took off. And he walked up and, and I will say he sure enough was my type. Um, and so he had stuff with him. You know, he checked my blood pressure and just kind of monitor my vitals. And um, so then he had to call and cancel. They had a they had a carryout crew coming. They thought they had a carryout from the trail. So I don't know how many people he had coming. Um, I know he mentioned it was at least six. So he had to call them off. Um, once he realized that I was, I was actually out. So then he hung with me until the paramedics arrived. Great. And then a um, couple months recovery for that. So I did it at the end of June surgery, the first couple days in July, my doctor had told me I probably wouldn't be able to hike until November. And I just had a ridiculously fast, fantastic recovery. Um, I was ready to hike by about mid September and he made me wait. He felt like it wasn't strong enough yet. And I started hiking, um, gosh, end of September, early October. And by the end of October, I had a 10 miler in. So I was really happy with, with how fast I recovered with that. All right. That's not bad. It's my biggest nightmare is like not being able to get outside or do, you know, run or, or I hike pretty much every weekend, but, um, it would be a total nightmare. Were you able to keep yourself occupied even though you weren't able to get out and I did. I mean, I was, I was working and stuff. And um, then I ended up actually, it was, it was made me sad, but I planned a lot of trips. I just never went, I I didn't get to go. So I would plan logistics and things on kayaking trips and backpacking trips. And and I'd hand it over to my friends and they'd go out and have fun. So it was, you know, that part was kind of a bummer, but I'd rather, you know, it kind of kept me connected to them and, you know, what they were out doing. That's nice. And you're, you're so, so one of the things that like I, I, I've noticed and is different than me because I'm mostly a loner, although I do, I am hiking tomorrow with a, a group of new friends, which is different for me. Uh, but you're super social and um, as a leader of like a big social media group, like it seems like you're always organizing events like you had, uh, we, we've been talking about these Hallmark movies and I know that you had... Um, <laughs> organize like a big friend group with the to watch the hallmark movie and then um you're you're always doing the sort of the cycling and kayaking backpacking stuff can you talk a little bit like have you always been that way or did this have you always been super social and being like the the organizer so so i'm my personality type and i've, I've done some testing and disc assessments and intrinsic and different things i'm kind of an extroverted introvert so I like to plan things. I'm sort of a service-oriented personality. I like to plan things. I like to get people together. But while it's happening, I'm never right in the middle of it. I'm not comfortable being right in the middle of it. I'm more kind of on the fringe, sort of watching it happen, facilitating it happening. And um, so I am social, but being around a lot of people like that, like many introverts, is exhausting for me. So I'm often pretty glad to climb into my tent at the end of the night because I have some, like, alone space and that's how I recharge. So I, I do that stuff and I like it and I always have, but I've never been like, I don't want to be the front and center of attention. You know, that's just not my thing and you know, not my style. So. Got it. Well, how was the, uh, so the, what we're talking about for the listeners and I've mentioned this a couple of times, but there was the, the hall, I'm still working on my Hallmark movie script, but the Hallmark movie for, um, the Glacier National Park, like, I think it was loving Glacier National. Um, how many people came over? Would you have like a, you had like a slumber party for that, right? So we ended up, we had to keep it smaller than the normal bigger crew just because we were sitting down to watch something on TV rather than having a, you know, a party kind of thing. So we had about 13. Um, and, and the week before, my friend Dean, who is from New Zealand and people who were on the AT, I think he through hiked in 2019, may know him, Sherpa and his dog Blue. And Dean sent a message and said, hey, um, you know, I know that Americans typically watch Hallmark movies in their pajamas, so I'm wearing my pajamas. And then it was game on, right? Like that, that had to happen. So many people went shopping to buy pajamas. Um, so lots of people at my house changing into pajamas as soon as they arrived. 
so we had kind of this PJ party. Everybody brought, you know, food and snacks and alcohol. And um, we had a bingo game and we had a drinking game. And we were kind of loud enough that we had to turn the captions on for the movie. You know, we'd be arguing over whether something qualified for a bingo square or not. And, you know, just, just silliness like that. And we were all, I think, very surprised because we ended up having a great time. The movie was horrible. I mean, even worse yes. than the Christmas, you know, the Hallmark Christmas movies. It what do you mean worse? I, I love the Hallmark Christmas movies. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. I mean, we spent a lot of time ridiculing it and you know um we really like the dogs we really like the daughter but the rest of the characters nobody liked nobody liked the actors and actresses it was it was just bad you knew it they set the stage at the very beginning when the opening credits um really kind of look like a word art like a word art thing Mm -hmm. and then the first thing they did was mention rocky mountain glacier national park and then it was just game on for ripping it up you know we we had a lot of fun yeah, yeah, that's good. I, I actually, I mean, I like the scenery out there. I definitely want to get out there, but yeah, it was. For sure. It wasn't the most, um, you know, even yeah, it was definitely a, a made-for-TV movie. Which yes, yes, it's good. And then so we, um, the other thing, just keeping with the movie theme here. So we talked about this movie, Cocaine Bear, that's coming out. Like, and for mm-hmm. the listeners, as a reminder, this movie is like a. I think it's a campy horror story about a bear that gets a hold of um, some clandestine drugs that are found in the woods and then terrorizes a town and I'm, I'm sure that it's going to be the production value is probably going to be a little bit better than the hallmark movie but not much but um you're getting together for that one too we we are and did you know it's based on a true story yes yeah we talked about yes. it on a couple of so episodes we, ago we are getting together but we we all understand that there will be a much bigger demand for that than just the 13 of us who were there and so um, there are already a whole lot of people saying they want to go. So we're renting a theater. Okay. So, yeah, if we, if we rent a theater and pack it with our, our friends crew, um, you know, we can, we can talk back to the screen if we want. We can be obnoxious if we want. Nobody else is in there. Do it at a theater where you can have beer. And, yeah, so that's our, our grand plan is to, to watch Cocaine Bear and enjoy all the stupidity of it. So. Well, that'll be good. And then um, with this, with the group dynamics that you have, whether it's through the Facebook hiking group or whatever, I, I can't remember if this made the cut or last last time. I don't think we, I think we ended up cutting this out, but I asked you about this previously. Like, what's the deal with like dating drama? Um, do you have to ever get intervene in like people breaking up or like getting kicked out of the group because they're being too mm-hmm. um, out of control? So there have been some interesting things. Um, we actually have a marriage in the group. We have two people okay. that met in the group and got married. So that's fun. They're, they're both fantastic. I was thrilled to see them get together and then get married. And we have had a couple situations where, you know, go on a group trip and, and somebody's sort of behaving questionably and, you know, you, they don't come out again. They're gone. I disappear them from our lives. And, you know, we, we would occasionally have issues in the group itself more when it first started where a woman would post about a hike and, you know, it happened to to multiple women. And then they would tell me that as soon as they posted it, they started getting DMs from men in the group. Hey, do you want to hike? Can we talk about this place you went? And, you know, I basically sort of went out publicly and said, look, here's how this works. Gentlemen, this is not how it's going to happen here. There were women telling me they didn't want to post about hikes in the group anymore. Um, so we had to clarify that. And and really, it's not been much of a problem. It's just the tone in the group is very different than most Facebook groups. Um, we militantly enforce the be, be nice rule. And I'm pretty protective of group members. So at the first sign of anything untoward or creepy or weird, I just shut it down fast. And that person doesn't stay around very long. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I, I mean, I've, I've seen groups be moderated in a million different ways, but I think for your group, for the purpose of what it's there for, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and then as far as the educational stuff that you get involved with in the group, so you do offer this beginning backpacking uh, program for group members. Before we get into the details of the, the curriculum of the backpacking um, piece of it. Like I always sort of say this about like people that are learning to hike, if they're looking to do winter hiking or backpacking or, or anything like that. Like one of the things I always recommend is like, if you're not sure where to start, I always tell people to start with, you know, considering hiring a guide, like in New Hampshire, we have a couple of really good guide services. Um, you know, you can also work with organizations like we have the AMC in, in our area where you can, um, 
you know, you can basically pay to go on um, hiking excursions to learn. But more and more, we're starting to see like meetup groups have always been a thing. Um, but no more and more, we're starting to see different um, social media groups that are offering these beginner programs. And I think there's a we've talked about sort of some of the right ways to do it and some of the wrong ways to do it in various episodes. Um, I think your program is very, you know, on that side of the right way to do it. Uh, can you talk a little bit about sort of the curriculum and what you offer for beginning backpacking? Sure. So first, it's all free. And I want to be clear about that because we're going to be talking about things we do on the national forest land and you need permits and insurance and all sorts of things if you're running a business and that's not what we're doing. We have, um, we schedule a, a weekend for the trip. And in the months leading up to that, we have a series of Zooms with panels of experienced backpackers. And there are almost 40 experienced backpackers who volunteer their time to make this happen. And so we do four Zooms on any kind of gear you could even think about taking backpacking. We cover it and we talk about pros and cons and features and what we recommend they take and what they don't need, like a hatchet or a machete. Those show up occasionally. Um, so we go through, you know, everything about gear. We talk, you know, we also similarly walk through clothing. We have two Zooms that we do that are how-tos. And that's everything from, you know, how to dig a cat hole, uh, you know, bear handling for food, kind of, you know, that safe, safe food handling, um, how to use your filters, how to start a fire, you know, how to layer, how to make sure you don't get you know, sweaty if you have layers you can take off, just all those sorts of things that a beginner backpacker may not know about. And we have a Zoom on women's hygiene because a lot of our women that sign up for the trip have a lot of questions about that. It's, you know, it's just different than, than for the guys. And then we have one that is required and it's an outdoor first aid session. And the gentleman that teaches it is, you know, certified and teaches wilderness first aid and other classes. Um, so he spends about 90 minutes giving us enough that they have some education, they know things to look out for. Um, so that's sort of the, the base of it. We also do pieces on Leave No Trace. We emphasize L&T quite a lot. Um, we don't teach compass use and, and map use. We refer them to the Columbia River Orienteering Club's 18-part YouTube series. They have an amazing series and we could not do anything better than what they do. So we refer people to that and, and tell them to watch it. And then along the way, you know, they're doing hikes, getting, you know, getting in hiking time. And we tell them before the class that, or before the actual trip weekend, that they need to have done a seven mile hike, with their full pack on a trail rated moderate or above. Um, and that, you know, if they, if they do that, we know they're ready for our trip. Our trips are usually five miles or fewer per day. We don't, the emphasis on is on backpacking skills rather than hiking skills. So we want to teach them what they need to know to backpack, not beat them to death with, you know, 10, 12, 14 mile trip. And we do have um, at least one trip every time that's about seven miles, just because we've had requests from some stronger hikers that want to go a little farther than five miles, but they select their trips themselves so if they're a, you know, more of a three mile person, they're not going to end up stuck in the seven mile a day trip. So that's sort of the, in, the rough. Yeah. And then as far as sort of common things that you notice, like I, I've had like people that I've talked to about backpacking and trying to get, you know, beginners going and not at a big scale like just friends of mine and the th and I just think back to my experience too and I think some of the things that I used to do that caused me some headache was like I brought way too much food I carried too much water didn't rely on a filter I think I brought probably too many clothes that I didn't need my first aid kit was like out of control like do you do you still see those same sort of tendencies in people even after they've gone through uh, the program? Just Do you take the approach where like it's better for them to sort of be heavy and then slowly peer their weight down? Or do you give them advice ahead of time to say like don't carry that much weight? Right. So what you described is really what all beginners tend to do. My first trip, my pack was about 40 pounds. So I mean, it, and that's and that's pretty normal. Um, so we see along the way that they begin to realize they don't need as much as they thought along the way, meaning in the training. So for example, when we talk about clothing and we talk about wearing the same clothes both days in a row, 
you can see some horrified looks and, and we just, you know, trust us. This is, this is okay. You know? Um, and so we try to, to beat that out of them a little bit along the way. And we are fairly successful when they show up, the packs tend to be, because we, we will often weigh their packs at the trailheads that morning. They typically run 28 to 32 pounds, which for beginners, it, I mean, that's solid. That's, that's not too bad. We can yeah. still pull some things out. We, you know, trailhead mornings we've pulled out machetes we've pulled out lots of clothes we've pulled out you know somebody carrying giant coils of rope i mean so you still do get some stuff but it seems to be as everyone says you know you pack your fears so it does seem to be fear-based and we don't make them take the things out of their pack we go through it we recommend things but ultimately if someone feels like they need to have a 20-foot coil of heavy rope well that that's their choice so you know we we educate them, but we don't force them to, to do, you know, to leave things behind if they really feel like they need that to be comfortable. Got it. And then this is an extended program. So how many months does it, like, how, how long from the time that they start doing the Zoom classes to the time they actually get out and do right. the group hike? How long does that take? So this year, the class is in mid-April, and we started with the first Zoom on January 31st. So right. it's, so you know, then. That would serve, I think, to sort of like make sure that they're really committed by the time April rolls around. Like if they've gone to the Zooms, then they're probably going to show up in April if they go to multiple training sessions, I would guess. And they don't, um, you know, they don't all go on the trips. And some people will tell you from the beginning, I'm not in a position to get my hands on backpacking gear. I'm just here to learn. Or maybe they know they have a conflict that weekend, but they want to learn. So we typically will have 125 or so beginners in, in the group each time. And then we usually take 25 to 35 out on trips. So by far, not, not all of them go. We've at this point, we've trained about 700 beginners and we've taken about 125 to 50 out on their first trips. Yeah. Do you see, do you see like a standard, like I always joke around like hiking's like, for me, hiking was like the last stop on my athletic activity. Basically, like I was, you know, I did um, wrestling and running all through my younger years and then um, it became mostly cardio and then eventually now I'm I'm doing hiking so that's the end of my sort of athletic and you know you, you typically will get people in their 30s and 40s and 50s that get into it like do you still see that profile or is it young people that are that are showing up as well no it actually skews a little bit older than that so a lot of, I would say, I mean we have we have all ages coming from mid-20s up to 70s, um, I would say the bulk of our participants tend to be women who are 45 to 65. And a lot of them are people who their kids are now out of the house and they've got time for themselves and they're trying to do some new things. Or people who maybe hiked or backpacked when they were younger and then had families and just it didn't fit in the schedule and routine. And so now they're trying to get back to it. Um, sometimes they have, you know, kids or grandkids that want to do it and they're trying to learn to help them. Um, and so it's but but they're gen, there's a fair amount of anxiety for many of them around getting out there. And, you know, with gear choices and things, it can be overwhelming if you're if you're just starting, you need all these different pieces of gear what's best, what's not, what do you need, how do you use it? There's just a lot to try to figure out. And um, so the program really makes a difference for them. And and one of the really cool things about it with, with anybody going is that they're so excited. I mean, it sort of takes you back to the first time you went backpacking because, you know, you were excited, you were kind of hyped up to do this thing. And now to see them do it, it's like you get to do it all over again for the first time. And so it's, it's fun. And that's why our experienced backpackers love it so much and always want to do it. And then the other piece of it is that when you start the program, you know, they're, they're commenting, they're asking questions and they're coming out and saying, I don't know if I can do this. I want to do this, but I'm, I'm just not sure. And, you know, when you see them come off trail at the end of their trip, almost every single person is walking differently than when they started the trip. And I don't mean they're limping with blisters and things, but just they're walking with a different confidence than when you started the trip the day before when they were nervous. Um, and and so it's it's just a really, really cool thing to see. And Every time I'm with a group and we come off trail, you know, I get off trail first intentionally so I can stand and take like trip ending pictures as each of them come through. And I just, it's all I could do not to tear up because 
<laughs> I mean, they're just so much, they're so excited and proud and, and like I said, just, just carrying themselves differently. So it's, it's pretty yeah, cool. It, there's something to be said about just a new experience. And I think even it's such a continuous thing. Like you'll never get to the point where, I mean, maybe you do eventually get to the point, like if you're doing these through hikes and stuff, like some of these people that do, do the multiple ones, they, I'm sure that they get to the point where they're like, I, I know everything I need to know and I've got everything dialed in. But like even me, like this year was the first year that I really did camera camping, uh, hammock camping. And like it was, you know, I had a little bit of anxiety. I'm like, all right, how do I run my ridge line? How am I going to hang my tarp and make sure that my... Um, you know, I've got the trees that are the right length for me. And, you know, it took a little bit of time, but it sort of brings you back and you'll be like, oh, I remember the, the, I used to feel like this when I had to pitch my tent and now, you know, it's an, it's a new thing. So I don't think anybody ever really gets to the point where they're, they're finished learning this stuff. But I think the biggest thing is what you're talking about is like just doing it that first couple of times and getting over that hump and then, every new situation you run into at least you know like all right I did it the first time and I slept outside overnight and I can do it again right and it's you know part of part of what's different and unusual for people doing the program is that sometimes they've signed up with a friend or a family member and they come in pairs but most of the time they're coming by themselves and so understand that they are going to an area with no cell service to meet internet strangers to go in the woods overnight. And so, you know, there's also sort of that social anxiety of, am I going to fit in? Are people going to like me? Am I going to find people that I can talk to? Is this okay? And and they've gotten over some of that just because in the group with doing the, the Zooms and seeing the panels of experienced backpackers, they sort of feel like they've gotten to know, the, we call them EBs, they're EBs, the experienced and BBs, the beginners. So I think they feel like they've gotten to know the EBs a little bit. And then before the trip, once they select their trips, you know, because we do have five to seven trips happening that weekend on different parts of the trail because we have to keep the group sizes small. And so we assign the EBs to each group and then they're all kind of chatting. Sometimes they're Zooming. And so they know who they're going with. They know who their EBs are. They remember seeing that EB on a panel or something. And so it's not a complete mystery who the people are, but there's still some social anxiety around things as well as the, it's my first backpacking trip anxiety. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's, it's, it's nice to hear that like the, there is older people that are getting involved in this, but it's also sort of, I pulled an article actually, as I was doing research to talk to you about this topic. And um, the article was basically talking about how young people today are not socializing as much and that there's a lot of feelings of sort of loneliness and isolation. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of studies that talk about sort of the increase in anxiety and depression amongst younger people. And I do think that um, all of my kids always joke about this. They're like, you'd totally be the dad that sends me off into like wilderness rehab or whatever. You know what I mean? But um, it would be nice to see an increase in young people. And I do think like, there's evidence in New Hampshire that we're seeing that. But it would be nice to see more young people sort of embracing outdoor activity and um, backpacking and things like that. And I think you see it on the AT, but I, I don't know how big of a scale it is compared to the, you know, midlife people. Well, one of the issues for us with the younger people is that we are based solely on Facebook and that's not where they are. And yeah. so we, we just don't have that many younger people in our group. And we've talked some and we need to talk more about it, about how, you know, how do we sort of branch out Instagram, Reddit, of course, Reddit would be a huge way to connect with them. And, you know, it's harder because they don't have those same event features and moderation features. And it's, it's just, you know, it's a different platform, obviously, and it's not set up as well to do what we do. And so we've talked about, you know, trying to build a presence, Reddit or Instagram and, and trying to connect with some of the younger people, because there are absolutely younger people out there backpacking. And I, you know, I say younger and I'm, I'm 50. I turned 50 this year. So I'm officially one of the olds. I think it makes me an old. I'm the uh, same, sorry. same age. Yeah. My, my age and my side part make me one of the olds. Um, so, <laughs> you know, we, we are looking for some younger people, but we, we're not, you know, they're, they're not where we are. So it's going to be up to us to, you know, take it to where they are. All right. Um, so changing topic here, I'm a tourist and I'm going to hit Missouri. Uh, where am I, what do you recommend as far as, um, for first time visitors on the Ozark? So, um, to, to hike or just to visit Missouri generally? 
I'd say both. Like if you say like, okay. okay, here's a couple of hikes I would recommend. And then here's a couple of like dumb tourist stuff that everybody has to do. Sure. So you, you have to go to the arch. I mean, there's no avoiding coming to Missouri and not going to the arch. I mean, certainly people do because they're on mm-hmm. different sides of the state, but it, it is, you know, I, I don't know if it's officially a national, I don't think it's a national park, but it's a national something. Um, so you, you monument, definitely need probably. Yeah, but it's, it's more than the monument. I, I can't remember what they have it classified as, but you definitely need to visit the arch. Um, you, if you're, if you're backpacking Missouri and you're an experienced backpacker, definitely need to go to the Tom Sock section of the OT. I mentioned in the last segment we did that it's very popular. It's gorgeous. Trail can be a little more challenging to follow in that area. Um, it's a little tougher with some different climbs and things. And so I, I say climbs, I want to make air quotes with our climbs compared to yours, but for Missouri, there are tougher climbs there. Um, so I would say that's a great place to, to be. Um, but I highly recommend anybody coming to Missouri that likes outdoor activities to paddle. We have a lot of outfitters um, down south, central Missouri. You you just, I mean, you can't beat paddling down a crystal clear stream and, you know, veering off and paddling into a cave and, you know, coming back out. And it's, there's just some great stuff with, with our river. So that's another highlight as well. And of course, there's then, Lake of the Ozarks, Table Rock Lake. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and do you typically how many how many nights out will you do when you're on um, on a kayak trip? Is it just mostly like a weekend thing, or can you do extended week long trips? So it varies. Um, with with a job, it tends to be weekend. Um, when I had my three years of happily unemployed time, I could go for three or four nights pretty easily. Um, my problem was finding others to go because you know so many people were working. So it's not it's not limited by ability to get out there and do it or knowing how to pack things like that it's just about the time so okay and i forgot to ask you like you want to plug your friend's beer that he gave you oh i should i should so uh, my friend dave bernie i have to make sure i mention his his last name again um dave who i connected with zima yesterday stopped by my house today with some beers because he didn't like what i mentioned that i had to drink the other day so i have a little victories tropical ale it's from great raft brewing in shreveport louisiana he gave up one of his out-of-state beers for me and it's a mango pineapple passion fruit orange tropical ale it's pretty good that sounds good yeah, I, I told him I generally like pale ales and sours and, and fruit beers. And so this was one um, that that he brought over. So that's what I cracked open tonight. Not bad. Well, I'm drinking a water because I'm getting up at <laughs> 3.30 in the morning. Um, so for the listeners in the Ozarks, the way it works here in New England is you've got a bunch of people that live in Massachusetts who are about two hours, two and a half hours away from a lot of the, the cool trailheads. So I'm going to be meeting um, a couple of friends up in uh, Twin Mountain, and we're going to be doing a 15-mile hike with probably, I would guess, at least four to 5,000 feet of elevation climb. So we're going to be doing a mountain called uh, a mountain range called the Twin, so North and South Twin, and then we're going to go over to Galehead, which is, um, so we connect with the Appalachian Trail um, up by uh, Franconia Ridge in that particular area there. So it's gonna be a long day, but it's in pursuit of the 4,000 footer list for the winter season. So we have 4,000 footers that you can do any time of the year. And then you can do like a seasonal list and say like, all right, I'm going to climb all these mountains in the winter. So, um, I'm drinking a a water just because I got to go to bed right after this. So can I, can I do one more plug? May I do one more plug? Yeah, for, go ahead. So, so our Facebook group, again, Ozark Trail Section Hikers and Backpackers, and it is probably the nicest, kindest place on the internet um, because we don't allow nonsense in there. I'm, I'm kind of militant about that. But yep. it's very much a learning culture in there. And so we do daily discussion topics where I'll post a question about maybe a certain kind of gear and what people like or how to do a certain thing and how people do it. And so even if you're not in the Ozarks, never going to be in the Ozarks, feel free to join us to learn and, and share information with others when they have questions. And then with the beginner backpacking program, it's it's a free program we do. Um, you don't have to be able to go on the trip to join. So if somebody's interested in learning about backpacking and, you know, no, they won't set foot in Missouri, that's okay. They can still, you know, come and, and listen to the Zooms and learn. And so um, we do have our, our 
class that's already started, so it's closed for now. But it's something we do every year. The trip is always in April, so it launches, you know, sometime in January. We actually just finished our very first winter beginner backpacker geared toward Missouri winters. It would not get someone ready for winter in the whites or, you know, winter in the Rockies or Smokies or something like that. It's based on our environment. Um, but there, there's some good information in those things that we do, and it's open to anybody anywhere. We have members from all across the country. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll, I'm going to link, um, I'm going to do like a separate um, push on our Instagram and Facebook with the links to access the site. And I'll push those out tonight. So uh, people can join if they want. Um, question for you about the sort of question of the day. So for the listeners, Andy basically will put out like, she'll put out like the most like obscure question. She'll be like, okay, give me, let's talk about the, um, you know, the shovel that you use to dig your cat holes. <laughs> what brands do you like? What, like it gets down what to are level. Your like she's, she's like literally, and I've been in this group for like a few years now. And it's like, I don't know if it's every day, but it's like three, four times a week. She's coming up with like a, a hiking related question. I don't think I've ever seen you do a repeat of a question. Like, do you have a spreadsheet where you just have questions or is it just like come off the top oh, of your head? I- I've, I've done repeats. So sometimes I sit and just stare at the screen trying to figure out, God, what can I, you know, we've done, um, some of the more popular questions have been about, God, coffee. You mentioned, what are you doing for coffee? And we can get 200 responses. And so um, I have to struggle to come up with things or to really get into minutia to make something new out of something we sort of already talked about. You know, like we've, with, with shoelaces, for example, we've talked about shoelaces. I've, I've asked about lacing techniques. Um, you know, you get into the how-tos and I've asked about other uses for shoelaces if you get in a bind, you know. So we kind of drill into all sorts of things over time. And um, I definitely have repeated some things just I think it's been long enough ago that people don't tend to remember or they've joined the group in the last year and don't know I asked it three years ago um so and it's and it tends to be you know I've seen some turnover of people who are super active and answering questions and you know that changes too so it's um it's just interesting but I I definitely repeat a few months ago I posted and said okay I'm I'm running out of material like give me suggestions on things to ask about and probably three-fourths of it was stuff that I'd already asked before, but I, I recycled it. So, um, I, I just pulled off the top of my head every day. Yeah, it is very helpful and it's, and it's good. Um, another subject I wanted to just cover with you is sort of your traveling. So we talked a little bit about sort of your adventures on the AT and you did like that. Would you do that first section, that first 30 miles or so? Yeah, I did. Um, we did the approach trail to Neil Gap. So that first, what did you think? Was it, um, I have this sort of, I have this idea in my head about what it's going to be like, but I don't know if it'll match. Like when I actually, some of one of these days, I actually was thinking about like going down with my daughter at some point and just doing like maybe the first hundred miles or something like that to just check it out. But, um, did it, did it live up to your expectations? Was it not as exciting or interesting or was it more interesting than you expected? So the answer is it varies. There were, it was super cool just to be on the AT, right? Because you see all the AT stuff, and then you know to see the Blood Mountain, the you know the the shelter that's up there was was neat, and and Neil Gap, and you know the the trees and the shoes and and all the stuff, and the approach trail and the lodge, and so that was all. It was cool to see all that. To, you know, we had our pictures taken at the arch behind the visitor center, all all the kind of touristy parts of the AT, the stuff that we did. Um, I was not a fan. The shelters, when we got to the shelters, my friends slept in the shelters. I slept in my tent. Again, I need that downtime. I want that time away. I wanted no part of sleeping in a shelter and not having any personal space. Um, So that was not my thing. But, you know, I appreciated the camaraderie before bedtime. That was kind of fun. We ended up with a group of about 12 of us that hung together. And then, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm not the strongest hiker. I'm terrible at climbing. And so those climbs were very different than what I typically see in Missouri and were were tough for me. And and also we we were doing we started out I think we were doing like 13 miles and 14 miles and those were just too big of days for me with those climbs. You would breeze through it. They wouldn't be anything to you. They are not like what you're dealing with. Um but for me they were a lot. 
my my two friends Jennifer and Dia um, they you know they did much better than I did with them because they're much stronger climbers but yeah it it, it kicked my butt pretty good so if yeah, I did it yeah. again I would be doing about eight miles you know starting out and and building up if I did a lot yeah and it's interesting like geography plays into it so much because I remember like and I do I do do a lot of miles and a lot of elevation uh, in in the northeast but I remember going out to Arizona and like in August in the heat and it was like I probably couldn't do more than four or five miles. And I would imagine you're dealing, you know, you're dealing with um, a lot longer sort of a uh, warmer season where you are than, than we deal with in the Northeast. So I would guess that like, you know, we, it would equal the playing field out in the Southwest. So it's all things are, it's yeah. it depends on what you're used to. Well, and we have such humidity here in warm weather and mm-hmm. it's, it's similar there in Georgia. So, you know, that part you'd probably be, that would, you know, cause you trouble, but that was what we were accustomed to. Although it was interesting because, you know, again, we don't have the elevation in Missouri to really feel the difference in the amount of humidity. But in Georgia, when you would be hiking down, you know, into a valley or a gap, you would, it would get more and more oppressive. And then as you were climbing out, you could feel like the air felt like it was getting lighter. And then when you'd get up top and you'd manage to catch a breeze, it was just, I mean, I found myself really motivated to climb as fast as I could just to get back to cooler air and a breeze because down in the gaps, it was, it was pretty miserable or it was getting pretty warm our last couple of days. Yeah, that's interesting. And then aside from the AT, um, you've hiked in other areas of the country. And have you gone outside of the U.S.? Yeah, so I um, I hiked. I, I did a day hike in Innsbruck, Austria. I've done a day hike in Belize, one in Mexico, just, you know, on trips and things. Um, in the U.S., my, my hiking resume is actually pretty thin outside Missouri. I, I've hiked the Narrows at Zion. Um, I'm trying to, trying to get a little better. So in October, I have a trip to... Um, to Colorado. We're hiking, we're backpacking part of the Gore Range um, outside of Vail. And then in, actually, sorry, that's July. I am not hiking in Colorado in October. Um, October is Big Bend. We're doing some hiking and some backpacking in Big Bend. And then in May, I'm heading out to South Carolina. And on the way, I'm stopping and I'm hiking Mount Leconte. And then I may build in an extra day and and do a hike to Clingman's Dome. I don't want to drive to Clingman's Dome because that feels like cheating. So I need to start you know, several miles away and, and hike in and hike out. All right. Well, um, it sounds like you got busy travel plans, so I'm impressed. I've got to, um, I got to expand my horizons and get out of New England at some point, but it's just, I gotta, come out and visit. I got to stick close to home right now. I got tuition to pay, I think. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll that'll see. do it. Although my, my daughter's in North Carolina, so I do want to get out to like Asheville and look at that area. A little oh, yeah. Bit. We'll see. Yeah. You know, we, we have a mutual friend in Asheville, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't, um, I haven't been out there. My, my, uh, my, uh, one of my coworkers used to live there and she, she raves about it. So we'll see someday. Um, but no, it's this beautiful. was good. Uh, I did want to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. And I think this is specifically for Uh-oh. our little friend group and you got this. So, um, <laughs> I know we already went through these, but I actually switched them up a little bit. Some of them are the same, but. Oh no. Um, Happy cheese guys. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I guess we can sort of talk about it. So we're in this little group where um, there's a bunch of really experienced, like, through hikers and people that have done, like, the Triple Crown and stuff. And uh, they, they all talk about sort of how cheese, particularly, like, warm two, three-day-old cheese that's sort of that sweaty, gross cheese is, like, the best thing to eat on the trail. So, um I don't, do you do, I actually, I bring cheese. I actually eat cheese a lot on, on overnight trips and on day trips. So, or do you I, just I pose pretend bring, you like cheese? No, I, I absolutely take cheese on trips and on, on yeah. day hikes, I'll do like cheese sausage crackers, you know, sort of thing. But my, my issue with cheese, not an issue, but my, my thinking with cheese is, you know, I tend to do shorter trips and, um, sometimes I went the weight of it. Sometimes I don't just depending what I'm, what I'm doing. Yeah, it's usually the first thing I eat when I get hungry. So um, <laughs> the, the weight isn't a factor for too long. But anyway, so rapid fire here. So um, you are locked in a room for 24 hours and you've got no entertainment other than you can listen to one song and you have to pick between these two songs. Take Me Home, Country Roads, or Wagon Wheel. Which one are you picking? So, so if, if it's just me locked in the room, Country Roads, all day long, but 
if I could make Jester be locked in the room as well, my entertainment would be watching him getting tortured by playing Wagon Wheel on repeat. So that would be Wagon Wheel. Okay. Okay, good answer. Um, you get to the shelter, and um, you've got about six hours before it's bedtime. And, you know, there's a group there, and um, they've asked you to pick between— you have to do a music circle, and they're, they've, they're only going to do one instrument for the next six hours. You have to pick which one it's going to be. Do you, te- do you tell them you want a drum circle, or do you tell them you want a ukulele circle? Drum circle, and I want to play. Okay. All right. Um, you get a choice to hike up Amicalola Falls again or hike um, up up Mount Everest. Which one are you doing? Everest. I'll probably Everest, die. Okay. I, I, I would be one who died out there. You know, you can use my, my shoes as a marker, but, um, okay. but I try it. All right. You never want to do Amicalola Falls again then. Um, you You have to hang out with one of these types of hikers. The f- you have to pick one, um, a hiker that started the AT in January or a hiker who starts a GoFundMe campaign to help them get out of Virginia in August? Definitely the first, because maybe you can do something with that person and help them. But that, that second person, they're already so far off course, like they're lost. If they're, if they're yeah. GoFundMeing their vacation and yeah, and started, yeah, yeah. Just, yep. That's the done. most annoying type of hiker. And then <laughs> last but least is um, tent or hammock. Tent. I'm a ground dweller. You've never done a hammock? Mm-mm. No, I, I like the privacy of my tent. And so if I was in a hammock, I would need a tarp that almost went to the ground and had doors on it. And there's just no point in doing that. Plus, I, I live in my Z-Pax duplex. And so for me to go to a hammock, I'd be increasing the weight. Um, so true. I hang on yeah. the ground. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't mind either, but I'm a side sleeper. So I've, I've fallen in love with the hammocks. Um, and the other thing is, I don't know if you deal with this, but like when we get to camps, campgrounds in the whites, a lot of times, you know, if I'm hiking on a weekend, it's super busy. So a lot of, you can get to these campsites and there's like 12, 12, um, tent platforms and, and other sites so you can they can fit 50 60 people but they may all be full so then the caretaker will tell you like oh you got to hike up another half mile to find like a, a, a overflow spot if you have a hammock you don't have to deal with that so that's one of the other benefits yeah. that I, I like about it yeah we don't have anything like that i mean ours is we're, we're hiking in the woods um so it can be challenging at times to find a place that isn't too rocky and in certain sections that is level enough for a tent so, but, you know, we can always make it work. And if not, I have a plan B. True. That is true. And with that, we're going to uh, roll out of here. I appreciate your patience coming back and I will get this out and post it tonight. Thanks for having me.